This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. One of the very great saints of the church was St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, who, as we know, was favored by special visits from our Lord himself, requesting that she promote devotions to his Immaculate Heart. At that time, she was a nun at Paris Le Monial in France, and she was undergoing a very difficult and painful time in her life. She was looked down upon by many of the sisters and discredited, which caused her great distress as she was uncertain as how she would be able to accomplish all that our Lord was asking of her. Well, knowing all things, our Lord gave her another message. She was told, I will send you my faithful servant and perfect friend. Well, that's a pretty hefty endorsement coming from on high. Of course, he was talking about a young priest named Claude de la Colombier, or Colombier, depending on where you live, whose special task would be helping Sister Margaret Mary fulfill the desires of Christ himself. There's a lesson for us here, too. We all have times and duties that may seem unattainable, but with God, indeed, all things are possible. But what was so special about this Claude de la Colombier? Well, that's our story for today. Claude was born near Lyon in France way back in 1641 to a prosperous and pious family well established in the social strata of the day. Not too much is known of his first few years other than he was not a particularly robust youth. In fact, quite the contrary, he had been in poor health, and because of that he had been unable to walk the two miles to and from schools as his brothers had done. So he had stayed at home where he received special tutoring of about an hour a day from the parish priest. Well, his father, being a prominent lawyer, wanted his children well-educated so they would be prepared for later life. Consequently, it was arranged for Claude to be sent to Lyon, about 20 miles away, where he could receive the best education possible from the Jesuits, who were called the schoolmasters of Europe. Now, this was a time of unrest. There were military incursions, battle-weary and often wounded soldiers were frequent sights in Claude's village. He was particularly impressed at his family's attempt to to be of help to those in need. Children learn from what they see at home. Well, Claude would question, wouldn't it be much nobler to teach against war and work for peace than to have to prepare to do battle? Pretty good thoughts from one so young. Well, he did attend school in Lyon in the years past. It was now 1658, and Claude was a boy of about 17. For eight years he had been at school in Lyon. It wasn't easy because the classes were in Latin, but Claude's father had helped him earlier with Latin, and so he was fortunate enough to be able to speak and converse in fluent Latin, which was no surprise because Claude was a very bright youngster who was closing in on manhood at this point in his life. Now, there was a party to which Claude was invited, along with some of his friends, while he was still in his late teens. 
It was a very prestigious ball honoring the young king Louis XIV at a nearby chateau. As you can imagine, this was the top of the line in the so-called social strata of the day. White gloves were mandatory, and the young men who were close friends of Claude were properly excited. However, Claude gave a, a very definite impression that he was bored. Well, to set the record straight, over the years as he was maturing, Claude had become very popular and much in demand as a, as a must-be-included guest. He had manners personified and was usually on the top invited lists. Well, because of his personality and charm, and as if that were not enough, his dancing ability made him a, a prized target for the ladies of his day. To be more exact, it would probably be closer to the truth to say that he was not bored with the event, but rather accepted it as just another party. Regardless, he was a respected conversationalist and was a highly regarded prospect for the ladies. Perhaps part of his charm was his reputation for doing the unexpected. The young women of his day seemed to have given up trying to turn his head, but they still considered him a challenge. Some even thought his ideals were too high and that he was seeking what might be called the perfect woman. But he was charming, tall but rather thin with coal black hair and, and dark penetrating eyes, and his eyes seemed to have a, a sparkle that bespoke friendliness. And when he would speak to you, his eyes gave the impression that you had his complete attention and interest. And beyond all this, there was a definite sense of manliness that added a depth of strength, and this certainly did not go unnoticed by the eligible young ladies of the day. The girls who knew him well had given up being able to turn his head. Some even went so far as to proclaim that his ideals were too high, and somehow he must be searching for perfection. But still they clamored for his attention, certain that his future would be bright and very successful. He would be in a career that would be of interest. But they wondered, what career would this fascinating man pursue? Well, I'm sure that was a frequently asked question, and the most guest occupation that would be that he, he would achieve that of being a good lawyer, much like his father, as I mentioned earlier. And then there was this special Sunday. And all these times, he himself was not sure what he was going to do, and this Sunday was to have an important part of his life. And Sunday was always special because as students they were allowed an extra half hour of sleep and didn't have to arise until 5.30 a.m. And on this special Sunday, their priest of six years would be leaving for Avignon where he would become the master of the novices in the Jesuit community. And so this event, this mass, was something that Claude certainly did not want to miss. Well, one of the things that he would always remember from this particular Mass was the homily or sermon the priest gave on this particular day. It was a sermon focusing on the missionaries to North America and what they suffered, but also what they accomplished. 
The good priest had been Claude's spiritual director, so Claude had a personal interest in what he was saying, among which the priest asked a special question. He would say, and I quote, Who can wander up and down our streets, knowing there are Frenchmen like ourselves facing death hourly, who walked yesterday where we are walking today? Referring to the missionaries, of course. But perhaps it was the closing of the sermon when the good priest made the statement. He said, I seem to hear you say, my friends, that this is not for me. You think of these martyrs, deaths, and wonder, what had this martyr to teach me? There he is, my friends. Picture him standing on the torturer's platform. Even the savages admired him. And what was he doing as he was being killed? He was praying for them, those who were doing him in. Well, Claude was always fascinated by the way the priest spoke, but this time as he listened to his words, there were other thoughts that went into his mind. As the priest said, and again I quote, Many are the lanes in France where we have walked after Father Jogues. He was a martyr in the new world known as North America. The priest continued, But who of us will run with him up the hill on the shore of the Mohawk River in New France? Picture ourselves dashing up with him among the Huron converts between two lines of Iroquois savages who wait to strike us with their sticks and clubs. Who of us will run the gauntlet for the Lord? End of quote. And then Claude heard the priest end his talk, asking, What had this martyr to teach me? There he is, my friends. Picture him standing on the torturer's platform. There is no way we can be the same martyrs as he here in France. I simply do not know the answers, but only you can tell exactly how you are called to be a witness. Well, what the priest said suddenly created a confusion in, in Claude's mind as to the path he would take, and suddenly it began to clarify what his future was being called to do. It was like a lightning bolt. He knew he would become a priest. Before he, his friend, the priest, left for his new assignment in Parish, Claude told him that he wished to become a Jesuit priest. Now, the good priest, instead of being overjoyed at Claude's decision, spoke about the rigors and difficulties of living the Jesuit life. He went into great detail on the rigors demanded by the Jesuits and what Claude would be giving up from his promising secular life and the luxuries he would undoubtedly achieve, as, as well as possibly and undoubtedly a happy marriage with children laughing and hugging him. And then the old priest probably smiled a bit as he asked, And you still want to be a Jesuit? But Claude surprised him. His answer was a simple yes. The priest probably thought for a moment and then replied, I think the finger of God is here. And so his journey to God had begun. 
As the first few years passed, one of Claude's brothers had become a successful businessman, and the other brother, well, he showed an interest also of being with the Jesuits, undoubtedly because of seeing the joy Claude had in being of service from royalty to the very lowest of the lowly, where, where he found his greatest joy in serving God by being there for those who were in the greatest need. This was a difficult time for the faith. It was the time in which the Pope lived in Avignon instead of Rome, and other new religions were popping up. Well, there was great joy among the Jesuits. Blessed Francis de Sales was to be canonized, and quite naturally this would be a huge event which would attract many officials of the, of the highest order, including King Louis the Fourteenth. Now, many of these officials in high office were not so favorably impressed with the church, and, and many belonged to other beliefs. So, consequently, this presented a somewhat challenge to the Jesuits. There needed to be a speaker, but not just any speaker. This time the speaker needed to be dynamic and humble, forceful and yet not overbearing, and one who could command the attention and interest and respect of this widely diverse audience. Well, young Claude de la Colombie was chosen and succeeded as expected. Not too long later, he was surprised to receive an envelope of the finest parchment, and then he discovered that it was from the finance minister for the king himself a Monsieur Colbert, summoning Claude for a matter of what was called great importance. And at the same time, Claude was being sent to the Jesuit College of Clermont in Paris, and it was known as one of the most important colleges in the area, and one that required the best brains available. Well, because of his record of achievements, as well as his preaching abilities, he was selected to attend there, but he was also scheduled to meet there with Monsieur Colbert. And when they met, Monsieur Colbert made it abundantly clear that he was too busy to waste his time going to church or being bothered by religious activities. Now, Claude knew that because of Colbert's power with the throne, he could not risk offending him. But for the sake of the Jesuits, he, had to he could not refrain from speaking his mind about the road to salvation. This was made doubly difficult because there was a rift between Louis XIV and the Pope. The king felt the state should dominate the church. So there was an obvious area of dispute requiring the utmost tact and skill not forsaking his own basic beliefs as well as those of the Jesuits. So it was like walking a, a wobbling tightrope. Claude could not afford to antagonize this close associate of the king. And while Monsieur Colbert railed on about how busy he was and how much he had to accomplish, Claude gave him a very warm smile, telling him that if he received the Eucharist often, he would be surprised at how much he could accomplish. Well, somehow Claude's whole demeanor was firm in his own belief, but presented in such a warm way that Monsieur Colbert liked him and trusted him. 
I mention this in a little detail because so often we think of a particular saint or holy person, we know perhaps only one or two things that they may have accomplished or achieved, and I believe it's very important that we also know about them, their personal lives, and and how they lived their lives leading up to their sainthood or recognition, because they're often roadmaps for us as well. We learn from their lives. Well, Claude taught at the university and also tutored the Colbert's boys. Because of Claude's character and zeal, he would often visit the Colbert's home for additional study, not only for the classroom, but for the character of the boys as well. I can't stress enough how important Claude's acceptance at the university was because their educators were considered to be, well, the cream of the crop. Well, partly because of his position at the college as well as his personality, he was also again invited to parties and happenings at the palace. And as a side issue, two of Monsieur Colbert's boys were now frequent communicants, and one of the boys excelled so well in his studies with such high grades that letters of congratulations were received by Monsieur Colbert from throughout France and even from Rome. Although yet he was not as yet ordained a priest, Claude was now a frequent invitee at the most prestigious and glamorous royal balls and events. And one of his contemporaries, in a personal chat, asked him if perhaps he might be tempted to leave the Jesuits for what would be a high post or position in the government that he would undoubtedly attain. His reply was simple and straightforward. He said, Let me tell you a secret. I do enjoy this magnificence when I ride in a white enameled royal carriage. But have you ever visited the prisons yet, or the Hotel Dieu for charity patients, or the miserable homes in the Port St. Morin? This is another side of our glorious Paris. Well, thank God I have seen both sides. He would go on to tell his friends that that very morning he had visited a poor sick man who lay on moldy straw on the floor. His vocation crystallized even more, and and the next day he called on a man whom he knew to be very ill and alone in a squalid room. The man lay on a cot with a dirty blanket and told him he looked like a priest, and if he was, well, he could get out. But Claude didn't leave. He was not yet a priest. He had not been ordained, and so he sat down saying nothing but offered a silent prayer. After a few minutes, the old man lowered his blanket just enough to see if Claude was still there, and of course he was. Then the old man asked him what he was singing, and as he uh, was coming up the stairs, he had heard Claude humming and singing, and and Claude smiled and told him that he was singing a song to Our Lady, Laetare O Maria. Claude smiled gently as he saw great tears well up in the eyes of the old man who rasped, I used to sing it when I was a boy. And then he added, You say your name is Claude? Do you think maybe you could come by again tomorrow and sing it again for me, I get very lonely. Claude spoke very softly. Yes, I'll come back tomorrow, and I'll bring a friend. 
and the old man knew what he was saying. He paused for a moment and then knowingly added, Yes, it is time that I saw a priest. As Claude left the shabby room, he realized even more the true meaning of his vocation and really how unimportant a ride in a royal carriage was when compared to what he could achieve as a simple priest in the service of God. And yet there he was at these royal parties with the very cream of the royal society. His mind went back to a recent party in which one of the premier educators in all of France spoke of Claude, saying, He is one of those Frenchmen who has to a superior degree an understanding of the uses and beauties of the French language. But then he knew, too, that this could be a trap to snare his interest and intellect into worldly pride. This he knew and prayed, You alone, my Savior, are worthy of being loved, served, and praised. Fear of human respect is responsible. Even for doing good in order to please others, I shall do my duty and try to do good only because I desire to please you. Holy Providence has a way of achieving what it wants. Through an unknown set of circumstances, Monsieur Colbert had found a limerick unfavorable to him and wrongly attributed it to Claude in a violent outburst of anger. Even Claude's superiors, I believe, recognized the error of the accusations, but there was little they could do. Claude was not even given a chance to defend himself by refuting the accusations. So it wasn't long before he was transferred to Lyon, and Claude felt that perhaps he might have, well, he might have given way to a tad bit of vanity, and this was to set him straight. He was always sensitive to how much he still needed to do to reach what he considered the perfection he needed. No, he would not be really upset. This was God's will. Claude's vocation as a priest required more study, and Lyon seemed like the likely spot. Through a set of circumstances, he met the Duchess of York, whose marriage to the English Duke of York had been arranged by Louis Fourteenth, and they became friends. She was concerned because England now had the Church of England. She had great devotion to St. Francis de Sales, and that created a close bond between her and Claude. The time was approaching for his ordination, and he was concerned that his focus would always be centered on serving God the best way he could, and by making himself less and less. His goal, though he doubted he could achieve it, was to work toward perfection for the sake of his vocation, even though he thought it was not possible to attain. He was suffering a crisis belief in himself and and wished to devote himself his entire life, not for himself, but for Christ through the Jesuit order. To him it seemed that an ideal life would be to pray in a quiet, secluded chapel, to meditate and to read and to study, knowing he would never achieve that perfection. As he was ordained, his fellow seminarians saw an image of him in a pulpit of a large, prosperous parish. But God has his own plans. 
instead of a wonderful assignment in a big church, a big basilica. Instead, the other seminarians were shocked that Claude was assigned to a rather small Jesuit college at Paris le Monial. If he wanted a humble assignment, this would be it. God himself wanted Claude in that humble little city because he had great plans for him. You see, in the convent of the visitation, there was an unpretentious young sister living behind those cloistered walls known as Sister Mary Alacoque, who claimed to have had visions from Jesus Christ himself, asking her to promote special devotions to his sacred heart. Now her superiors were aware of these alleged visions. She was not one to seek glory for herself. In fact, she sought anonymity, but was the focus point of much criticism and suspicion. Many there felt that she was just being presumptuous and passing on to the other nuns the wishes that Jesus had supposedly made known to her. We have to know that Margaret Mary was one who sought anonymity, as I said, and only passed on the wishes of Christ at his command. She had tried to resist and even protested against her assignment, but she felt that she had to obey. There was no escape from doing the will of God. The other nuns made fun of her, disbelieving the visions. In fact, one priest went so far as to tell her to eat more food and she would stop having those imaginary visions. But then, as I mentioned at the beginning, our Lord in his infinite wisdom told her, I will send you my faithful servant and perfect friend in whom you may confide. And so here was Father Claude de la Colombier who arrived. The bell sounded for vesters, and the small, unpretentious little nun walked toward the chapel with her eyes downward to avoid the suspicious eyes of the other nuns as they entered the chapel. There was the sound of footsteps, and a tall, graceful young priest named Father Claude de la Colombier entered. Sister Margaret Mary's heart seemed to stop beating. She had a locution hearing within her the words, this is he whom I have sent you. Father Claude met with Sister Margaret Mary, and she opened her heart to him, describing the details of the many communications she believed to be from the Lord, and even with his educated discernment, he believed her and urged her to put pen to paper and record all that she had been told. And he, as their visions had said, did everything he could personally to assist her in promoting the devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. His personal notes show that he pledged himself to assist her in promoting this cause without any reservations. His notes also show that even before his, his association with Sister Margaret Mary, he was devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus through the direction of St. Ignatius Loyola's exercises. Plus, he had a perfect knowledge of how St. Francis de Sales found in the Divine Heart the perfect school for souls. Through his help and support for Sister Margaret Mary, there was a reversal of opinion in the convent that was the budding flowers of true devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, 
that survives with all its beauty and promise to this very day. After less than two years at Paris la Moniale, he was sent to England as the priest for the Duchess of York at a time when Catholics were being persecuted. There he worked tirelessly, bringing them the blessings of the faith while encouraging devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus and brought many souls back to the faith. He was even arrested and spent some time in prison by those who had fallen away from the faith, but he was released from prison as a favor requested by that French king, Louis the Fourteenth. Through the intense efforts he exercised for the faith, his health had begun to fail, and he was returned to Paray-la-Monial. He received a message from Sister Margaret Mary that Christ had given her a message that he wished that the sacrifice of his life to end in Paray-la-Monial, which it did on the first Sunday of Lent in 1682. And today, one of the most powerful devotions is still the devotions to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Claude de la Colombier was canonized a saint by Blessed John Paul II in 1992, and Sister Margaret Mary Alacoc was also canonized. Their lives were an example of the phrase, Thy will be done. And may the canonization of Saint Claude de la Colombier be for the whole church and all of us, an appeal to live the consecration to the heart of Jesus, a consecration which is self-giving, that allows the charity of Christ to inspire us, pardon us, and lead us in his ardent desire to open the ways of truth and life to all our brothers and sisters. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.